Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're shining a spotlight on gender lens investing. One of the great inefficiencies of the financial system has long been its failure to effectively channel money to female entrepreneurs and female-led businesses. Gender Smart Investing is an attempt to address that inefficiency, mobilising female-owned capital, but also ensuring that financial markets are more efficient. In this programme, we're zeroing in on Gender Smart, a global field-building initiative dedicated to unlocking the deployment of strategic, impactful Gender Smart capital at scale. We'll be hearing from its co-founder, who'll share some insights from the Gender Smart Investing Summit and their State of the Field 2022 report. We'll also check in with the Chief Economist of UBS Global Wealth Management, a regular commentator on this programme on the cost of biases in investor behaviour and a passionate advocate for change and innovation to help more actors shift more capital more strategically. We start today with Suzanne Beagle, co-founder of Gender Smart. Suzanne's an advisor to foundations, development finance institutions and other institutional investors on gender smart investing and is a pioneer with her personal portfolio in this arena. Suzanne, terrific to have you on the show. You're a globally recognised expert on gender smart investing. Remind us, first of all, well, what exactly that is. Today's smart investors are gender smart investors. They're recognising that access to talent access to innovation, access to the entrepreneurs who are really creating the products and services and solutions that we need as a society are just as likely to be women as they are to be men. They recognize that paying attention to where women and men are in managing the money and making the investment decisions is as important as what they're investing in. That you can't just look at leadership or governance or supply chain or access to talent or the products and services that it's really across the whole value chain of a company or of an investment and that our voices as investors really matter, that we can use our voice as shareholders and as owners to really help create the companies and support the companies that are creating the solutions that we need for a more just, sustainable and fair society. Tell us about the Gender Smart origin story. What were the primary objectives and how do those founding ambitions shape what you do day to day? The Gender Smart origin story goes back about five years where we decided to bring together a global community of over 300 investors from over 40 countries to talk about what's in the way of moving more gender smart capital at scale. And that is capital that understands what these opportunities look like from paying attention to where women and gender balanced teams are as innovators, as entrepreneurs, as leaders, but also thinking about where the fund managers are and how classically underfunded, not only entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color are, but really thinking about local fund managers, pioneer fund managers who may be on their first or second fund and what the institutional barriers are, what the mindset barriers are, and what the opportunities are by looking at what's working and how people can collaborate and really build solutions together. It was so successful that we went on to build working groups around climate and gender, around gender and racial equity, which we call JEDI, Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, thinking about how we back, again, more women and first-time fund managers, especially fund managers of color, 
and thinking about how we invest in a functioning care economy, just as an example. So those ambitions to unlock strategic, impactful, gender-smart capital at scale shape what we do today by, by thinking about how we build capacity, how we advance the standards and the practices of the field, and how we can shape and shift the market more systemically. Right, let's bring things up to date. Tell us about the summit and talk to us about the excellent State of the Field 2022 report itself. What were some of the headlines? Let's talk first about our State of the Field report. This is the largest ever qualitative study done around the State of the Field for Gender Smart Investing. And we interviewed bankers, we interviewed family offices, foundations, development finance actors, a real cross-section of players in the finance system. So the first thing is that people often think about investing with a gender lens as something dedicated. I'm backing women entrepreneurs, I'm backing companies where the companies are good for women in supply chains, I'm backing companies where the products and services are good for women. But I think the state of the field now is to integrate gender and climate, gender and healthcare, gender and creating a functional care economy or thinking about the future of work. And so just more sophistication around saying that whatever you're investing in across whatever asset class, paying attention to gender and diversity factors is just smart investing. That's the first thing. The second is thinking about where the capital is coming from and unleashing the power of women's wealth and seeing family wealth as a potential driver for change due to their ability to be flexible with investments and values-driven decision-making. And we know that we have data that more women are more interested in investing in sustainability and social impact. But also thinking about the other sources of wealth, the financial institutions, those pension funds, those banks, those investment banks, those family offices, who have the capability to be thinking about where paying attention to women as leaders, owners, in workforce, in supply chains, as customers, is just, again, smart investing. I think a third is that we're seeing this intersectionality between gender and racial and ethnic diversity, and that some people lead more with gender, some people lead more with racial equity, especially in the United States, but that people are realizing that these things are integrally linked. And what about the recent summit, Suzanne? Take us through some of the headlines from that. One thing that came up was really talking about the making the business case versus the moral case about integrating gender and inclusivity into our investment strategies. And I think it was agreed that we need both, that people need to know what's the data about performance that comes from paying attention to gender and diversity, but that there is a moral and fairness conversation to be had about if we really want to have a good economic recovery, have a climate resilient future, have a society that is just and fair, that this just makes sense to be paying attention to 100% of the population rather than prioritizing on 50%. We spoke about the opportunity to look at climate and gender from the perspective of 20 years out And how do we future-proof our investments today from a climate standpoint by integrating a gender analysis into thinking about where women are leading climate solutions? Women are the agents of change in terms of adopting new products and services or being in those good green jobs and in some ways really transforming people's image of what's possible. So that was, uh, there's a lot of talk about climate. 
we had great conversations about healthcare and just the need for a functioning healthcare economy and care economy as again a core basic service but also something that if we do have a functioning healthcare economy and a care economy how we are then going to be much more resilient and a position to have a better economic recovery but also again to have those climate solutions that are really going to take us into a more resilient world. Well, with that kind of goal and objective, how critical is collaboration in this space, Suzanne? If we look at the likes of your founding partner, UBS, for example, what does their engagement with you and your work mean? Is it transformational, potentially? Collaboration in this space is absolutely essential. None of the challenges that we're talking about facing are going to be solved by one bank or one pension fund or one foundation alone. And that means coming to common agreements about the kind of metrics that we're going to be tracking, the the way we capture and use data, thinking about the policy and regulatory environment um, that we really need to have a variety of stakeholders involved as we put those policies in place to, for example, say we want to see more gender and diversity across uh, supply chain contracts in public sector uh, financing, for example, or we want to see a prioritization around women's leadership and women at the board level in publicly listed companies, as well as policies and practices that are good for women and men. We talked originally with UBS when they became our founding partner at the fact that this was not going to be something that was going to be owned by one bank, for example, and that were they okay with being there with Morgan Stanley and Citi and others? And they said, absolutely, we recognize that We've got a leadership role to play, but that this really is something that's going to take the whole industry. And we saw very creative partnerships coming together across a corporate, working with a foundation, working with a bank to unleash pools of capital in creative ways to solve specific problems like access to sexual and reproductive health or access to climate smart solutions. So that's one thing that was really energizing about the summit was just talking about all of these collaborations between actors. If we think about this concept of traction to transformation, traction is that we've got one part of a bank or one part of a asset manager who really gets it about integrating gender analysis into a financial analysis to get to a better outcome. Transformation is when you really have looked at who is making the investment decisions, what are their policies and practices, What are the rewards and incentives for developing new products or distributing new products that really speak to gender and diversity? And again, how are people incentivized to do that? That's transformation. When people really recognize that looking at gender, just like looking at climate, is just good business sense, then that's real transformation. A different aspect of transformation is, are we backing companies who have jobs where women are in the sort of predictable places? Or are we backing companies where we're really looking at a transformation of the kind of roles that women can play? So more women in construction, more women in engineering, more more women in employment that really ties to the STEM disciplines. And we're seeing examples of that where people are just saying, you know, things that traditionally people felt were male gendered roles versus female gendered roles just are changing. Just finally then, what is or should be on the to-do list, if you like, of truly gender-smart investors? 
Gender smart investors are looking at current portfolios from a gender perspective and their next investments. They're thinking long term. They're thinking about the products and services that matter to women as primary drivers of purchase decisions. They're thinking about the safety of infrastructure projects, the fit for purpose of the capital that's being deployed. So venture capital is not the answer for all entrepreneurs. It may be the answer for high-tech, high-growth companies, but we need different flavors of capital, working capital, production financing, inventory financing, for example. And so I think that's a really big piece of what we've been talking about is that aspect of fit-for-purpose capital, especially for women entrepreneurs or companies that are good for women. And gender smart investors are going to move on from counting up, ah, there's a woman on the board or there's a woman in leadership to really getting more sophisticated about are you designing and developing your companies, your products, your funds to take advantage of what we know matters to women and to men to make for a more sustainable, just and inclusive society. I think people need to realize that you can, at this point, 2022, build a gender-smart portfolio across all asset classes, across many thematics, across different levels of risk and return and volatility in your portfolio, and that just paying attention to gender and diversity, again, at the levels of leadership and innovation, at employment and supply chains, in management, in really thinking about customers and products and services, and get to better outcomes. Get to better outcomes from a a gender and racial equity standpoint, get to better outcomes from a climate standpoint, from a business standpoint, and an investment standpoint. And that now is the time, especially in this economic moment, where leaning in on this and looking for factors that are going to create resilience is the smart thing to do. Another is to go through the process of getting gender smart. So thinking about where you have bias in the system, thinking about where you're sourcing, whether it's talent or investment opportunities, how you're screening and diligencing, what incentives are really there in the system for people making decisions, and how you really have value creation, again, for a fund or for a company, by paying attention to gender and diversity as a source of future opportunity. Another piece of the puzzle is that we've moved from thinking only about gender or only about racial equity to thinking about the intersectionality of the two. And so I think investors are really waking up that inclusive markets, inclusive employment, equitable opportunity um, is not something that you'd only look at women or you'd only look at racial equity, but that it's really integrally linked. Suzanne Beagle. Well, next, let's check in with Paul Donovan, Chief Economist of UBS Global Wealth Management. Paul, thanks for joining us, as always. Before we dive into some more detail, give us your headline view on gender lens investing. Why is it such an important topic? Well, one of the great inefficiencies of the financial system is that it's it's just not been very effective at channeling money towards female entrepreneurs, towards female businesses. And as a result, if you're a female entrepreneur, you have to work a great deal harder than your male counterparts to get access to the same sort of funding. And that's, of course, extraordinarily wasteful. So gender smart investing is an attempt to try and redress that balance to make sure that money is being directed into 
the most worthy businesses rather than the most male businesses. And, of course, behind that is sort of a philosophy of not only mobilizing female-owned capital, but also making sure that female fund managers get the right opportunities because they're more likely to be balanced in their investment decisions. And, of course, ultimately to make sure that capital gets out to the right businesses. I'm sorry to say financial markets are not necessarily efficient, certainly when it comes to allocating capital between genders. And so this is a serious attempt to try and effectively improve the efficiency of financial markets. Well, yeah, Paul, and there are echoes here of some of the conversations we've had about other biases that can negatively affect investors and how they structure their portfolio, how they make their decisions. And it's important to bear in mind, isn't it, despite some of the alarming or concerning trends which are implicit in your opening remarks, despite those challenges, there are great opportunities here. And it's actually really important to underscore this point that if we look through this sort of gender lens when it comes to investing, there's actually opportunities for everybody to win. It's important to come back to that point, isn't it? No, absolutely. I mean, as I said earlier, women are having to work, you know, twice as hard to get to the same place as men in terms of access to capital. That means that the the female entrepreneur is going to offer twice the potential in some regard. And so you you end up with a with a positive self-reinforcing situation. You know, the underlying investor benefits, the economy benefits, the employees of the recipient of capital benefit. You know, it becomes a, a very, very virtuous cycle if you can start to create this sort of thing. And then, of course, hopefully what happens is that the entrepreneurs who have benefited today go on to invest in other businesses in the future and, again, applying perhaps a gender lens to some of their investment decisions. Um, Well, Paul, let's talk a little bit about this State of the Field 2022 report. And it struck me as interesting that the co-founder of Gender Smart, Susan Beagle, made the point that calling it State of the Field rather than State of the Market was not merely a a semantic point. And I think that's interesting. And it underscores this point, doesn't it, that there are all these other complexities about the people, institutions, the structures around this that are important to to discuss here. Not just a semantic difference. It's that's an important distinction, isn't it? It is. I mean, we're we're dealing here with a, a far broader concept because, I mean, we're talking essentially about the way in which investment has an impact in wider society, shaping social attitudes, uh, shaping efficiency, which, of course, is extraordinarily important when we're starting to consider things about climate and so on and so forth. So it's it's not just about, you know, the cold, harsh realities of raising capital in the financial market. It's a, it's a bigger picture than that. It's creating mentors and role models for other people. It's, it's a very, very broad concept. So state of the field is, uh, I think, a, a far more appropriate term to be using. It's, it encompasses a lot more than just the balance sheet at the end of the day. Paul, one thing that I find really interesting that the report picks out is this idea that if you are an investor making gender smart decisions, there is this shift away from a more kind of siloed mentality. And we've talked about this in other contexts, haven't we, whether it's ESG or talking about sustainability or climate awareness, bringing gender into these existing conversations. And there is this really interesting, albeit quite complicated, overlay of the gender lens on issues like climate. If we look at ESG themes, sustainability standards... There's a very clear overlay. And whilst that might add another layer of complexity, it provides still further opportunity, one imagines. 
Absolutely. And of course, one of the great challenges, particularly at a time of, of structural upheaval like the Fourth Industrial Revolution, is the world is becoming increasingly complex. And there's no point burying your head in the sand and pretending that simplistic answers will solve it, because they won't. It's an increasingly complex situation. So you know, if we think about the gender lens for investing and some of these other issues, with regards to climate, I think that's fairly obvious. You know, we need to significantly improve economic efficiency in order to make a difference to, to climate without damaging living standards. But if you're saying, well, yes, you're, you're a fantastically efficient entrepreneur, you're, you're just ideal for improving efficiency, but we don't want to invest in a female-run business, then you're throwing away potential efficiency gains with you know, very, very negative consequences, of course. So that's one example, I think, coming through. There's also you know, the, the broader issues around dealing with an increasingly complex world requires more diversity in the decision-making process. If you've got a monoculture sitting around the board table, then you're not going to examine all of the potential risks, you're not going to see all of the potential opportunities, and you're going to end up with flawed decisions which are not the most efficient and in which in many cases you know, may actually be extremely damaging and, and dangerous to longer-term economic progress and efficiency. So introducing diversity of thinking, which a gender lens may encourage, doesn't have to, it has to be said. You can end up with a monoculture with gender diversity, but it's more likely to encourage diversity of thinking. And that, again, becomes enormously important, not just to gender investing, but to broader investing, to risks being taken, to opportunities being spotted, and ultimately, again, to the long-term efficiency of the economy and, and optimal investing for you know, the future of human society. Paul Donovan. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. Head to gendersmartinvesting.com to learn more. In the meantime, you can listen again and explore at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club by subscribing to Monocle magazine. You can also follow this program wherever you get your audio. And as ever, you can discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening. <laughs>